0: Remember to check out episode 35, where we take you into the future of supply chain with Alan from Metaverse and Nick is in a
1: different world. This is Two Babes Talk Supply Chain, where we interview the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about best practices, changes in the industry and hot topics in supply chain. We answer all your questions and put sexy into supply chain. We are your hosts, Sarah Nick.
0: Welcome back, listeners. Today we have a special episode for you. We don't have a guest today. Well, we kind of have a guest today. We've got our producer, Mike Mazurik, who's going to join us on this Inside scoop yeah. and crazy stories of working with a 3PL or a freight forwarder. Yeah,
1: I heard oh, he had some point. experience. You know anything about his experience experiencer, Sarah?
0: I know nothing.
1: You know nothing. Oh, We'll have to get into that later, Mike. <laughs> yes, we
2: will.
1: Do you got any good stories for us oh, today? I got, I got a whole ton of them. You got a whole ton of them. I like to hear that, buddy.
0: All right, so let's set the tone. So imagine you walk into an office. You've got accounting, air imports, ocean imports, ocean exports air exports the customs department
1: that's a loud department
0: that my friends is what a freight forwarder looks like so just imagine that okay and we've got a lot of rowdies in customs which nick will talk about later
1: yes i, I will talk about that but it's uh, i wouldn't call it rowdiness i'd call it passion sarah oh yeah there's good a, there's one. a fine line okay. there sometimes i do get agitated but um <clears throat> What you got to understand is I'm getting emails from the clients. They're expecting the goods yesterday when you can't really send it to customs till they arrive. Stuff happens like today. The reason why I'm late today, guys, is because we had an issue with a box, we used the wrong sublocation code. Um, so we had an issue with that. So I had to go pick up the box, but then when I got to a company to pick up the box, which is a big air company, they couldn't find the box. So I had to go back to the lady, which she was kind of cute. I'm not going to lie. And, uh, she actually had to go back in the warehouse and be like, boys, what are you doing? It should be here and actually found the box. So that is why I am currently late. And then traffic. I hit traffic. All right.
0: So. Do you want to start with the customs department? You want to tell us a little bit about how it works, what you guys do. All
1: right. So the customs. What's department. What's a typical
0: day as a customs person? A
1: typical. Or what, what would day. we call
0: you? Customs. Raider. Uh, raider
1: customs raider. Customs analyst. Um, okay,
0: customs analyst. I like. Account
1: that. executive is on my card. Really? Yes. Is that's
0: a sales role. You know, and it, sales. it is sort well, of a actually. sales road,
1: but I, I'm, um, I have certain clients that um, strictly have to come to me for certain issues. Um, so a couple of my big clients are their aircraft companies. So these parts are urgent because they cost a lot of money. Um, if these parts are held up and there is an aircraft on ground. So an AOG is just meaning it's an acronym for aircraft on ground. And that means there's an aircraft sitting on the tarmac or in their warehouse and it can't fly. It has a scheduled flight the next day or a couple days away, but it can't fly until this part comes in and is installed into the plane. Then they still got to install it. They got to go up. They got to do their test flights, make sure everything's hunky-dory and then land and then, okay, yeah, we're good. And then they could uh, pick up their passenger or whatever the following day but I've also cleared aircraft so I've had a lot of issues with clearing aircraft so um, one story I'm gonna get into is we had an aircraft land in Montreal um, They customs just changed the process about three or four days before this aircraft came in and I guess head customs did not send the memo to every single customs department so this aircraft landed in uh, Montreal And uh, next thing you know, it's about 7 o'clock at night and I get a call from my client saying, Nick, I don't know what's going on, but Customs is seizing my aircraft and they have tape all the way around the aircraft and they're not letting it go. So... I'm like, what do you mean they're not letting it go? So I had to get to the supervisor. Thank God my bosses were actually in Montreal at this time. So I'm calling them. I'm pretty new on the job. I'm probably only had a year of experience. So I'm I'm a rookie. I'm I know nothing technically in the customs world. I know a lot more now after seven years, but I, I knew nothing. So I'm freaking out. I don't know what to do. I've did the same process we've done, we were told to do. We've cleared these ones coming to Toronto. They all went smooth. So next thing you know, I, I'm getting my boss and he's calling the supervisor. I got my man manager down there she's calling another supervisor we finally get the plane released probably around 12 o'clock at night but the amount that that plane cost just on tarmac fees in fuel because they can't shut the plane off they had to keep it running until they dealt with all the issues so then they had to refill it
0: that is really bad for the environment
1: oh it's it is but they had to do it they had to do it sarah but as I said, around 12 o'clock, we finally got it released. They removed the tape, and they let the pilots go on. So where
0: exactly on. was the tape on this airplane?
1: Like uh, they, was, did they
0: uh, seriously like go it, under the underbelly and yeah, no, over the top? Yeah, no, they seriously
1: or... they seriously put like, caution to it. So if you had a crime scene with the police, mm-hmm. how they use that yellow tape, same kind of thing. They put a car in front of the plane, a car behind the plane, so the plane couldn't go forward, couldn't go backwards, and they literally had it blocked off. And yeah. um, I've also had other issues where pilots are really good at flying planes but they're not good at following certain customs procedure and processes all pilots think oh it should be the same everywhere which i i totally agree with but um, with customs, it's not the same everywhere. It's, every port has its own little twitches and, and twerks. Um, so you get to know what port requires, what kind of package and stuff you got to put together to give them when you're clearing planes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it is a crazy world, the AOG world. Anything we're So outside of
0: the aircraft, if you were um, handling other sorts of products, what would that look like? So a shipment comes in, you get paperwork. For, for, what do you have to do?
1: For, for most shipments, um, they're EDI. EDI means electronic data interchange. So that means our system links up with customs. So basically what will happen is, let's say if it's an ocean shipment, I will get the arrival notice with the OBL and the commercial invoice packing list. Um, I basically... All the information I need to submit to customs is on all three of those sheets. So you get the cargo control number, sublocation code, what port it's coming in, all on the arrival notice. You get the date of shipment um, from the OBL, and then the commercial invoice tells you. Um, what the goods are, what the commodity is, uh, country of origin. Sometimes they give you an HS code. A lot of my clients, uh, they don't give me an HS code because they know I'm so smart and I could get it myself. But that's
0: not typical practice. But it
1: is not typical practice. We always recommend to get the HS code from our clients because we're only dealing with paperwork and we're only as good as what paperwork we receive. So sometimes the description on it is just a code. So we don't really know that it's plastic trays or whatever. We're just seeing like ABB123.
0: And the importer is responsible
1: and for the that. HS code, and and the importers. Yeah. And they also know exactly what they're getting. So mm-hmm. we're just going off. So, say we did see it was paper cups, but we didn't know they were laminated with wax or something on the outside. So, it's going to totally change the HS code. And that could also change your duty. Right. And then next thing you know, they're, they're calling saying, I thought it was supposed to be duty free and you're like, well, the paperwork saying this and they're like, oh, they misspelled it on the paperwork or that, that paperwork's wrong. Here's a correct. And then you got to do a correction and it, it's just a mess. And, and you also want to be precise on these HS codes and stuff in case you do go through an audit and customs audits companies every day. Mm-hmm. And if you go through an audit, and customs see something that they're not like, and they're going to make you change it. So and as, it could
0: go back four years.
1: And it could it could go back even more than that if they okay. really wanted to. So um, it, it's always good that the importer does provide the HS code, just because they are the ones that are receiving the goods, and they internally know exactly what those goods. And are. And a
0: transparent commercial invoice, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yes.
0: All right. Let's get into warehousing, Mike.
1: Warehousing.
0: You have done a lot. Uh, you've you've done a lot in the warehousing world you've you've done some pick and pack i believe
2: yeah pick and pack so what's Uh, a
0: day in the life of somebody that works in a warehouse
2: it's a lot of a lot of a lot of hard physical labor but you could have a day where where it'll be easy i won't lie there's some days where you know the slower days just like anything else it's not Mm -hmm. very very uh constant moving but a day where you're doing something like a like a hand bomb container could literally be anywhere from eight hours to two full days just Unloading an entire container,
0: right? Because you're physically like the boxes are loaded from floor to ceiling in this. Yeah, container.
2: and you have to um, You have to obviously organize them nicely on a skid so so the skids are sturdy They don't talk so longer. some
1: containers that come in don't have skids and and they're not already like the boxes aren't already pre-loaded no, yeah, on the skid.
2: That's what like the, the it's like a kind of a slang term hand bomb where you you kind of they're all kind of just floor loaded So they and the reason they do that is so they can fit obviously more cargo on without having to pay for another
1: shipment so they try to fit as much as possible on that one container. So but yeah, if you put a skid on there, it's going to take up a lot one of or two more, five more boxes on yeah. that four foot by four foot area yeah. or four by four. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Mostly from the Far East. There's a lot of hand bomb from the Far East. Europe is a lot of skidded cargo. Yeah. But yeah, like I guess, and especially in the summer months when it's really hot. Oh yeah. I
2: mean, if you're looking at like a thirty a day, a day where it's like 35 degrees outside the container, could be like another 10 to 15 degrees more than that. Mm-hmm. And the closer you get to the back obviously it gets harder cuz the sun's just beaming down so right. time is kind of at the essence you want to start at like you know 7 or 8 and do all the work in the morning before the sun hits right because once it's like 12 o'clock it's like considerably hotter in there just after a couple hours of being in the sun
0: yeah and these are things that people don't really think no, about right
2: no no and that's that's why i think sometimes it's hard for uh for you know people working in the office they they might have kind of unrealistic demands on how fast the can needs to get done or mm-hmm. You know, or, or how well it needs to get done. Everything
0: needs to have, needs to happen yesterday. Yeah. I mean, come on, <laughs> that's the world that we live in, right?
2: Yeah, you could tell the people that have been in in a warehouse before; they were a lot more understanding of the whole procedure, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't, you know they wouldn't rush the process and they'd understand that like do you want it done right or do you want it done now
0: did you ever load a container
2: yeah i would have done that before how easy is it
0: to load a container because it's kind of like jenga right yeah like I think, you got to make sure you utilize as much space as possible yeah
2: i think it's it can be a little bit more thinking to load a container mm-hmm. whereas when you're unloading it you're kind of just like a robot and you're kind of just doing it yeah as fast as you can but this but sometimes you get these containers that are really mixed up where you have to sort out all the different lot codes and, and product codes, right? Right. And and they obviously can't be mixed up on a skid. And if you do, then you got to tear down the whole skid and find the missing box, right? Oof, and have falls.
1: you ever received a container that had damaged goods in it? And oh, what were all the time. your actions on that? Do you take pictures? Do you yeah? We just d- leave it until like an insurance guy comes in and takes his pictures. Yeah, or? we
2: usually we usually take pictures right away so that we can prove that it wasn't us that damaged the boxes. Then then after that, you know, we'd have someone kind of come and look at it from the company. Sometimes that's that's happened before.
0: Yeah, the insurance company. Yeah, yeah. the
2: Insurance company comes in and takes a look at it. And uh, so a lot of times the company, because there's so many boxes, like three, 4,000 products on that one container, one is not a huge deal to them. They'll just say, toss it aside. So Mm -hmm. we we usually take that box out and toss it aside because sometimes they're not, if it's not packed very well, or the the truck driver was was, uh, really rough with it, you know, everything shifts in there. I've actually, I wasn't there, but I've, I've heard stories of like half of a container pretty much toppling down, creating like two extra hours of work to have to rearrange it.
0: And probably a little bit of damage. So what about, um, walk us through like a pick and pack shipment, like the order comes in and it's handed over to you.
2: Yeah. So you have, so yeah, you have the order come in. Uh, usually it'll be like a stack of orders and you'll have, uh, you have like several aisles with all the products and their locations and and on the actual pick and pack sheet, you have the product and its location. And sometimes you have multiple products in that one location. So you could have like four different product codes to look for. So sometimes you gotta do a little bit of digging, right? That's where the organization comes Mm -hmm. really big in that. And then uh, you would pick the item, uh, throw it on the cart. And you usually want to pick a couple at a time. Like you'd say, you know, pick maybe three or four orders at a time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're one piece, sometimes they're eight pieces. And then you take, you take the cart back to a separate packing station, and uh, usually you have two separate people uh, picking and packing, but not always. And then when you're packing them, you basically have to, you have uh, the return label, which you got to put inside the package. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have to put the order slip, and then you seal it. Sometimes it's a mail mailing envelope, or it's uh, an actual full-out
1: box that you need to tape up. Mm-hmm. And you slap the label on there, and then you throw it on the skid. And in your warehouse experience, what's your favorite job in the warehouse? Would that be like unloading with a forklift, or would that be handbound? I'd say unload, anything that involved a forklift was was always my
2: favorite. Of course, especially yeah. you're, you're a typical male. Yeah, <laughs> especially the one, especially using the, like the, the counterbalance where you're, you're actually sitting down driving it. Yeah, unloading like containers that way was my favorite. It's a little bit, it's a little bit scary sometimes using the the reach trucks in in uh, in tight aisles. It can be kind of a
0: so, Mike, what is one of the worst things about working in a warehouse?
2: I'd say one of the hardest jobs was when we had a company that was a client re- recall one of their products uh, straight out of the factory, and we kind of got um, delegated the project to actually fix each product individually. It was like a little, uh, just, a, just a really little error that they made when they were when they were manufacturing them. And we basically had to do, like, I'd say anywhere from, between 500 and a thousand of these products and Ooh. each and each one was not only was it tedious like you had to we had to actually have someone from the company come in and show us how to do it specifically um but it was just very like time consuming like you mm-hmm. know you're looking at like maybe you know you could probably only get like 10 of them done in in an hour and right. we had like 500 500 of these to do so this was like a a four to five month project it, and we had three or four wow. people working on it yeah
0: that see that's what mistakes cost you guys yeah it was a lot that's of money. What mistakes cost you people yeah. i mean you got that right here because if they come in with a mistake and you need your 3pl or your warehouse to help you with that mistake i mean mm-hmm. it could there... be it could be anywhere from an insert to a box which is not too too
2: bad mm-hmm. but
0: if you got to repair stuff and and it takes
2: yeah and it was like it was you know it was as, as detailed as actually having a pretty much take apart a a piece of the product and, mm-hmm. and you know we had to you know flip it over to access that part mm-hmm. and then flip it back and box it back up it's crazy and it was pretty heavy to what we were working with so it was it was physically taxing
1: as well so sarah i know you've been in this business a few years i know you're only 29 but a, a few years do you have any stories for us
0: i do have a few so i have been i have I've had the opportunity to work in a lot of different departments. So I've, I've worked in the warehouse office. I haven't worked in the warehouse specifically. Um, I've done air imports, ocean imports. I've done a little bit of exports, not, not a ton. I've also helped in the customs department. Um, I worked in trade shows. I've done some accounting. And I started off as reception. So, yeah. Why haven't it's...
1: you done, Sarah?
0: <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. That sounds like a lot. I've done sales, I've done yeah, marketing. No,
1: I think you've been in every department.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to tell you about one of these stories. So, when I was in air imports a little while ago,
1: dun, dun, dun.
0: <laughs> um, there was this product that kept coming in from the UK. Um, and it would, like, the boxes would kind of melt. And it smelt really, really bad. And I started to realize that what these people were importing was something called chat, which is not illegal in the UK, but it's illegal in Canada. And it's kind of a hallucinogen, but not really. I I don't know too much about it.
1: I, I know a bit about it just from doing research and stuff um, just because I'm in customs. So I've, I've heard some stories about this stuff. Um, so how it's described to me is it's like um, corn, how, how corn grows. It's like in between a corn stalk and asparagus. And, and it's these green leaves. And um, after you harvest it, it normally comes out of Africa countries and stuff. After you harvest it, I think you have up to two weeks to consume it. Now, when you're consuming it, you chew it, I believe, like chewing tobacco or or put it in tea and and drink it. And it is supposedly a hallucinogenic. I've never seen it in person myself. I've just watched a lot of shows that are on TV now that deal with it or, or hearing stories and people talking about it at customs when I go well customs
0: approached us this one and they asked me to you know serve the paperwork and and do all these kinds of crazy process
1: like normal yeah like normal i had to do the process like
0: normal i was really young at the time it was really really awkward and um what ended up happening was they ended up taking these guys down at gunpoint at the back of our building like talk about a day at the office you know what i mean (laughs) freight forwarding 3pl You know it's exciting, but not that exciting. Earlier,
1: (laughs) I should have started a couple years ago, because that probably happened a couple years before I started. Yeah, definitely did. I don't remember, and I've been there a while. It
0: definitely did, but that I'm telling you was probably the most nerve-wracking thing that I have
1: ever been through. That would have been awesome to me, anyways. (laughs) I would have so been like, "Are we going to be on Cops? Like, (laughs) or or the show uh, CBSA or whatever it's called, their their show that they got there."
0: And I just, like, I I also found that, you know, containers being examined by customs, like, a lot of times people don't take that into account, um, that when your container comes into a country, like, it can be examined by customs. And if it's a part of a container, so let's say you're shipping LCL, and it comes in and Canada Customs or U.S. Customs decides to look in the container and... Uh, one of the shipments is not to their liking and they refuse it out of the country. That whole container has to go back to origin com- country, maybe get destuffed. I mean, whatever they decide to do, and then that those goods have to come back. So that could be a delay of like six to eight weeks, and that's a nightmare.
1: Speaking of that, actually, Sarah, I got a shipment right now that was supposed to arrive February 25th, and that's the issue on that container. So... It, it was supposed to arrive. The arrival was said February 25th, and I, I keep checking. I keep checking online, and shipment's not here. Shipment's not here. I finally get word that they pulled it into the Vancouver dock and that they were examining it. So I'm like, okay, no problem. And then about three weeks go by, and I'm like, I still haven't seen that. So I got in contact with the freight forwarder, um, they were in a different company of mine. And uh, she's like, oh, I forgot to tell you. They found some cocaine in the ship, in the uh, container, and uh, there's an investigation, and it's probably going to be a couple months wow. before I even get the arrival notice, so I can give you the cargo control and you put it in. Just yesterday, the container finally showed up at uh, the warehouse. It was supposed to be in Toronto or in Mississauga, and it's still not de-stuffed yet. Wow. But it, by Monday it should be de and then hopefully by Tuesday, Wednesday they get their delivery and everyone's going to be happy. But
0: Well, yeah. and this is part of the issue that I was going to kind of bring up. There's so many moving parts. There's so many people that have to get involved in a shipment, you know, have to, you know, handle a shipment. I was going to say, you know, how does cargo get lost? Well, one of the reasons is there's just way too many people involved and way too many people handling the freight. Yep. You know, people ask us that all the time. How does something like that get lost? How do you lose five boxes? How do you lose one box? Well, if you're in a half a million square foot warehouse like you were today, right? Because I'm sure that warehouse is... Oh, that was huge. Yeah, it's a really big warehouse and you've got a box that is 11 by 9 by 3.
1: Yeah, and it was only 3.4 pounds. Yeah, Yeah, it's,
0: you know, it's not intentional. But those types of things do happen. And it's people error. There's a lot of, um, it's, it's, this business is very much about people. Um, the information is put into the system manually in some cases. Um, some cases it's uploaded electronically, but then you've got people that are reviewing you know you've got people with doing the data entry you've it got people handling the cargo the, the
1: person who put the stickers on the box maybe they just switch those two stickers yeah it could there's a whole magnitude mm-hmm. of different things it could be loading the container and another you... thing with exams most time when it's your first import in Canada you will get examined and if you don't get examined on the first one it's only the first three uh, and they'll pull you but then once when they find okay yeah it looks like it's it's matching up pretty accurate and stuff they tend to leave you alone every once in a while I'll, I'll just get a random search but most searches uh that like customs does it's all computer generated so the computer just like Uh, yeah it just runs through the data I'm giving into the EDI system and it's like okay I don't like that we're gonna call this one for exam and there's two types of exams there's an inland exam and there's a port exam so sometimes your container will arrive in Vancouver it is destined for Mississauga let's say so when it gets to Vancouver they'll examine there or sometimes it will get through Vancouver it gets put on the rail and when it gets to the warehouse in Mississauga that's when it will get examined I've also had shipments that have been examined at both spots And then the the customer's like, well, why did they do that? And then you're like, because they can. They're customs. Mm -hmm. They got that power.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to go through a few stats right now. So there's 40,000 freight forwarders globally. 53 million tons of cargo moves, moves by air. 127 million TEUs move by ocean globally. Wow. Like the industry is just absolutely massive. There's a lot, a lot of cargo moving. There's a lot of people that are involved in those movements of those cargo. I mean, just just think about the origin, right? Who handles it at the origin? Well, you buy it from a manufacturer or a shipper. They're putting it together. They put the label on wrong. It's right from the start, Yeah. right? They package it together or put it on a pallet or, or what have you. It gets moved by truck into the port or the airport, gets put onto a container, either an air container or an ocean container, gets put on either a vessel or an airplane. It gets to this end. Somebody unloads it. Somebody then unloads it again because your stuff might be mixed with something else. There's customs involved at that point. You've got somebody clearing it for you. And then you've got the last mile delivery, either to your warehouse, to a separate 3PL warehouse where they're going to unload it, Like, it's just amazing what a shipment just goes through.
1: I've also had shipments that, uh, so it was their first time shipping. They didn't know. So they got the overseas vendor that they're dealing with to set up the shipment. And then when they set it up, it's only to port. So then now you got to scramble to find uh, a rail or a truck to pick it up. And then they're like... Well, I thought they paid for or for like the, the shipping, and then you're like, well, yeah, they did pay for the shipping to the port, but now it's in Vancouver or it's in Montreal, and we got to get it to Mississauga or Caledon or, or wherever it has to go. So now they have more um, charges that they're incurring that they didn't think were going to be there just because they didn't really know the Inco terms or whatever the, how the shipment was set up.
0: Yeah, another great tidbit is a lot of people think sending shipments prepaid is the way to go. And I would just tell everybody, you got to be careful with prepaid because in the beginning, it could look maybe cheaper, but there's a couple of things to look out for. And I think I've mentioned this before, like make sure your FOB charges are not in with the cost of your goods because otherwise you're paying duties and taxes on that. On that yeah. um, the other thing is, is um, freight prepaid doesn't include the local terminals and handling. Not and usually you don't have a relationship with that freight forwarder at this end. So they are going to charge you standard charges across the board. And that could add like three to $500 a shipment. it all
1: depends how big the shipment is and what they do. So most warehouses, they have a, a standard fee for terminal handling. Um, some have skid exchange. So when you go and pick it up, if you are picking up five skids, you're recommended to pay like 8 to $12 per skid or give them five skids in exchange so they load your truck you give them five skids everyone's hunky-dory there's a lot of different things now when it comes to bigger shipments um, that is by weight so there'll be a minimum charge of let's just say $45 and then so much after 150 kilograms it is so much more like 36 cents a kilogram so then if that shipment is like 10,000 pounds That will add to a pretty penny before your terminal and charges are all paid.
0: Yeah. Anyway, so lots and lots to think about. Some of the stories that we talked about today. I mean, it's it's a pretty crazy industry.
1: It is crazy.
0: Absolutely.
1: Are you struggling to make the most out of your supply chain and keep your orders moving efficiently? IceCorp is your supply chain specialist. And they specialize in e-commerce, retail, and drop ship distribution. They will provide you with tailor-made solutions that will drive your business and sales forward. Get your free assessment. Visit them at icecorplogistics.com. Check out their learning center as they have some great free resources waiting for you.
0: There you have it, listeners. You got it straight from the source. So you've got Nick, myself, and Mike giving you the inside scoop and all the crazy stories of working at a 3PL or a freight forwarder. You are not going to want to miss next week. We've got Barry McGuff coming back from PBH. He is going to talk all about wearable tech in supply chain how it's going to affect your supply chain what's the future of wearable tech and supply chain so you're not going to want to miss that episode remember to subscribe to us on itunes stitcher and google play and if you have a minute give us a review so that we know how much you love the show now this episode was produced by mike mazurik we're your hosts sarah and nick and remember everybody ship happens